Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora. U.S. stocks extend their records. The yen drops on stimulus bets and oil falls. European bonds rise also among st- stimulus bets. And Joe's PBOC past shows that multiple moves as analysts expect more rate cuts. On Money for Nothing today, we'll look at the deflation situation with Lenore Ellie Hawkins of Meritas Advisors. Then Nitin Dialdas of Mandarin Capital talks to us about the fallout from China's latest interest rate cut and what sector are poised to benefit. Sunil Kashyap of Scotia Mokata and Foreign Exchange looks at gold prices and what some analysts believe is the early stage of a new uptrending cycle. But first look at today's top stories. U.S. stocks extended all-time highs and European bonds gained amid speculation that the ECB will buy government debt to support growth. The yen dropped to an almost seven-year low of 118 against the U.S. dollar. The S&P 500 rose 0.3% to an all-time high of 2,069, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average climbed less than 0.1% to extend a record of 17,855. Natural gas prices slid the most since February, and crude oil fell. The Brent crude gauge is now at $79.68. Eurozone shares closed more than half a percent higher overnight as expectations of more monetary stimulus and some positive German economic data boosted sentiment. Hans-Werner Sinn, the president of Germany's IFO Institute, says that the extreme period of pessimism we have seen in the summer may now be over. We have had a decline in the indicator for six months in a row, and now the good news is uh, it jumped upward by one and a half points, which is quite a bit. We do have the rule, however, not to interpret too much in such a move unless we have seen that uh, three times in a row. So let's be cautious. And we should not forget the German labor market always was in very good shape, and firms wanted to hire new people despite uh, the decline of the indicator. Uh, Construction is very strong in Germany, has been throughout the the period. Only uh, manufacturing was a problem, but that problem may be solved now. Uh, German firms also report that their export expectations uh, have improved uh, since last month. Investors are betting that the ECB will soon unveil new measures after Central Bank's chief Mario Draghi promised on Friday to use whatever means necessary to raise inflation. But Benoit Coeur, the ECB's executive board member, clarifies that when it comes to buying assets, they will make that decision when they meet in December. The one thing that could change, of course, is inflation expectations. Inflation expectations matter uh, enormously because we are, we are an institution with a narrow mandate. And that's what uh, the European people will uh, judge us on, whether we deliver on this inflation mandate. So it matters a lot. Obviously, we're also looking at the economy around us. We're looking at the hard data and the soft data uh, on the eurozone economy. So how concerned is the ECB about deflation and the risk that it might be leaving things too late if it doesn't act in December? We are not in deflation. Um, But low inflation is as bad as deflation um, in terms of uh, the capacity of our economy to to, uh, grow out of debt uh, and to uh, deleverage. So uh, we don't need to be in deflation to be worried. Uh, Low inflation is a concern uh, and uh, this is why we'll be watching the numbers carefully. 
The euro stock's 50 index rose 0.6% to 3,211. That takes its gain since Thursday's close to 3.5%, its biggest two-day rise in 17 months. All right, let's bring in Lenore Ellie Hawkins, who is the founding partner of Meritas Advisors. Good morning, Lenore. Good morning. Actually, good afternoon. You uh, are calling in from California. So, you know, kudos to you for, for giving us your time today on Money for Nothing. <laughs> so, Lenore, what do you make of this inflation slash deflation, uh, slight inflation or deflation situation? Well, it's fascinating to hear the prevailing narrative. Uh, that keeps insisting that inflation is a good thing, deflation is a bad thing, and the complete unquestioning belief that central banks are omnipotent. Um, your your earlier um, guest was talking about how Germany is actually going to be doing, they expect Germany to be doing well. Well, if you take a step back and look at what really has driven German growth, there's a big problem for the ECB. German exceptionalism has really been driven by two external factors. Uh, after the financial crisis, China embarked on a massive infrastructure and real estate build-out in an attempt to insulate itself from the global recession. That created a massive market for German exports. And at the same time, after the financial crisis, uh, there was enormous unwinding of the carry trade with the yen. As all of those yen-denominated debts were paid off, the yen rose by about 35% versus the dollar and the euro which made Germany much more competitive, again, a boost to its exports. That is about to change. Both China slowing and Japan desperately seeking to depreciate the value of their currency. So do you think that the bad days for Germany are now over? Do you agree with him? I think think they're going to get worse. You think they're going to get worse? Okay, so uh, this is why you are perhaps uh, speculating that uh, despite, um, you know, all of the record highs that we've seen recently with the S&P and with the Dow, you think there's actually going to be more volatility, uh, you know, coming very soon. Is that right? Absolutely. Well, when you look at volatility, all that volatility really means when we're talking about the stock market is fluctuations in the number of buyers versus sellers. Because, you know, a market is simply made by how many people want to buy versus how many people want to sell. If the stock market's going up, there's no more buyers than sellers. If it's going down, there's more sellers than buyers. Well, what we've seen with this really suppressed volatility is that there's been a large amount of agreement. The prevailing narrative is all about monetary policy, and pretty much everyone believes in the omnipotence of central banks, which means everyone's on the same side. Everyone agrees. Well, much the way in nature you don't like a species to all behave in the same way, you don't really want that many people agreeing in the market. That much suppressed volatility means that everyone believes in the same prevailing narrative. That narrative of central bank omnipotence is at some point going to be found out to be false. And when that happens, you have a massive shift. Absolutely. All right. So the other uh, sort of big news item this week or, you know, um, imminent news item is the OPEC meeting in Vienna on Thursday. And the the question is, will OPEC leaders do anything about plunging oil prices? Right now, it looks like they are split about 50-50. And John Hoffmeister, who is the former president of Royal Dutch Shell, says that if there's going to be a cut at all, it will at best be symbolic. Put yourself yeah, in the Saudi minister's shoes. The Saudis take a long-term view. They always have. 
they're actually not competing uh, with uh, anyone except themselves for what the long-term future looks like. They know that $100 oil has repressed global growth. Mm -hmm. They know that they have a lot of oil for the future. They take the long-term view. Let's, uh, you know, why would we cut oil to get prices up to restrain economic growth? Let's promote economic growth. And, and the consequence of that will be an increase in demand for oil, and everything will be fine at the end of the day. Because but they have a sovereign wealth fund that can sustain their social responsibilities for a very long time. They're not worried like Venezuela or, or Iran is worried. So, Lenore, do you agree? Do you think that uh, we'll see nothing happen at all at the OPEC meeting on Thursday? Well, it's very interesting to see what's going on there. Because normally, uh, a 30% price decline for Saudi Arabia has always been pretty quick to cut production. But we've seen them be surprisingly quiet of late. Um, there's a belief, um, which I, I lean toward, that there's actually geopolitical pressure on Saudi Arabia to maintain production levels in order to actually put an economic vice on both Russia and Iran. Uh, there's limits to the U.S. geopolitical pressure. But with such a mistrusted administration as the U.S. currently has, I think we're in a different game. So, Lenore, if they do, in fact, do nothing at all, are we likely to see a further drop in oil prices? Well, I think oil prices, that's a big question, is what's driving the fall in oil prices? And is, is, it, is it the slowing global growth, or is it an increased supply? Uh, or is it the, the appreciation of the dollar? Uh, you know, it's pretty much a trillion-dollar question. Um, when I, the one thing I do know about oil prices is really the, the price floor is U.S. growth. Anything above that is based on Chinese growth. When I look at U.S. growth, that to me says the price is probably unlikely to go below 70 for any extended period of time. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be potential for some sort of a shock that could drop it down and you could go into, like, say, $30, $40. But it would not stay long there. The Fed nor China will not take $30, $40 oil lying down and will definitely respond quite strongly. So, but uh, even U.S. growth, uh, as far as we understand, is in question. I mean, with, with West Texas uh, index uh, being at yeah. $75, um, analysts are saying that 10 U.S. shale formations are now no longer profitable in Texas. I mean, are we going to see a major cutback? Well, so that's one of the other ones. One of the other beliefs is that Saudi Arabia is uh, content to maintain or maybe even increase production so that they can put more downward pressure on oil prices and force uh, U.S. shale production into unprofitable positions. And that, that sounds reasonable, but there's just too much money, technology, and political capital that's been invested in U.S. shale production to slow it down that way. It's too late for that. You know, the, the U.S. shale has got too much invested to be shut down that easily and that quickly. Okay. Um, so, Lenore, at what point does this become a scenario when we see even the shale boom, you know, go bust completely? I, you know, I really don't think that that's going to happen because, again, I mean, U.S. is still, while not going great, the U.S. growth is still there. Um, it's doing much stronger than the rest of the world. And as that happens, we're going to have more and more money flowing into the U.S. economy because all that global capital is looking for some place to go. And that will help the U.S. growth increase. And do you have an idea? Do you have an idea as to when you think we might see prices rise again? 
depends on growth expectations. And a lot of that, I think, depends on us first clearing out the myth that central bankers are omnipotent. Because once we get rid of that myth, then we can actually deal with the real problem. And the real problem in much of the world is actually much more structural. Uh, and an awful lot of Europe, it's just too damn hard to start a business. It's too hard and too risky to hire employees. If it's too hard to start a business, how can you get an economy going? It's as simple as that. The U.S. has done a little bit of that as well. It's, it's in better shape than Europe, but it's suffering from somewhat of the same overregulation, the over-legal, over-community laws, too much complexity. Uh, once the central bank myth is cleared up, I think we can address that. And then you start seeing some real growth. And once that happens, then oil prices start going up. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Lenore Ellie Hawkins, the founding partner at Meritas Advisors. Building management companies are responsible for implementing mosquito preventive measures in the public areas of buildings. Inspections must be carried out at least weekly. To prevent mosquitoes breeding in stagnant water, dispose of refuse properly. Cover water tanks tightly, puncture anti-bump tires in car parks, and clear drains. Prevent Japanese encephalitis and dengue fever. Act now. The time is now 8.16 a.m. and our recent easing moves by central banks in China and Europe putting the shine back on gold. Chris Oliver has been investigating. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Earlier this month, gold futures dropped to a four and a half year low. The bullion contract for December has since recovered the $1,200 per ounce level. And if you've been reading the news, the financial news, you'll know that this has spurred some talk amongst analysts that the downtrend could be over and a new uptrend beginning. Uh, we're joined now on the phone by Sunil Kashyap. He's Managing Director and Head of Scotiabank and Foreign Exchange Asia. Good morning, uh, Sunil. Good morning. Uh, so where do you see the gold price going in the near term? Uh, I think it's we're at a crossroads right now, um, and so it's it's either way. I mean, it's it's a fifty-fifty bet right now, uh, predominantly because you have two opposite forces really moving gold price. Uh, on the one hand, you have uh, the physical demand, which is very good, very strong, uh, specifically from China uh, and also from India and the Middle East, uh, and we're seeing increased amount of uh, shipments of gold into these countries, into these areas. Uh, we're seeing more demand from um, jewelry investors, uh, jewelry uh, buyers, uh, lesser demand from, from physical investors, but more jewelry demand coming in at the lower prices. And that seems to be supporting the price. Uh, but on the other hand, what we're also seeing is a very ferocious uh, bout of selling coming in from uh, hedge funds and other fund managers who believe that the gold price should be lower, given the fact that there is no fear of inflation in the near future, and um, there's no real uh, reason to be buying gold at this level. And so that's why you you see this uh, volatility in the gold price, where one day you can see a $20 move down because of selling uh, emanating from New York, and the next day you see uh, the price up $10 because of buying from, from China. I, I just want to bring in some of the recent news bits here. So, as you know, on Friday there was uh, a uh, short-term interest rate cut by the PBOC. Uh, We know that the ECB is also preparing to do a stronger stance against deflation. And all this comes on the back of a new easing by the Bank of Japan. So, uh, given that there's a potential wall of money coming, would this somehow be beneficial to gold? Mm. Well, uh, there's two two views on on that, too. Um, On the one hand, what they're saying is, uh, given the fact that the, the central banks are, are, are not shy of cutting interest rates. 
clearly uh, inflation and inflation expectations are very low. Uh, so therefore, uh, you know, there is no reason to buy gold because uh, even the central banks who, who understand the economies better than most uh, would uh, do not see any uh, fear of inflation in the near horizon. Uh, so that's one view. And the other view is, oh, yeah, but maybe they've got it wrong. There's, you know, there's going to be so much money in the market. There's going to be uh, so much uh, inflation of financial assets uh, because of the increase in money supply that probably you could get, uh, you could uh, have inflation which would go uncontrolled. Uh, and therefore, there's uh, people buying on the back of that. So it is really evenly split in terms of whether you're a buyer or a seller. Just one, one of the key arguments that was made in favor of gold was the uh, huge consumption by China. And we know that in recent uh, months and quarters that that consumption has been down. And I think for the third quarter, we've seen that uh, demand for bars, jewelry and coins is down 37 percent from a year earlier. Given that this was such a pillar of the argument to buy gold in recent years, does this upend the outlook at all? Yeah, I, I think you have to look at uh, the, the China numbers in a context of a longer horizon. So if you look at, uh, let's say, uh, China imports uh, from 2010 onwards, uh, in 2010, the imports were in the region of about 600 tons. Um, and the, uh, the imports increased to around uh, 1,200 or 1,300 tons uh, in 2013, last year. Uh, and that was an incredible increase. Uh, and what we're seeing in 2014 is a little bit of a pullback from those elevated levels. Uh, but we're still at levels we saw two years ago. Uh, and we're still double, close to double of where we were, let's say, five years ago. So from in that sense, you know, the China growth story and the China story of, of gold demand hasn't gone. It's just what we're seeing is a little bit of a pullback. And it, that differential is not sufficient to create any kind of worries. I mean, the fact that China demand in 2014 is going to be, uh, I'm sorry, China imports in 2014, imports of gold in 2014 uh, are going to be 10 times what they were 10 years ago. It just shows you that we've seen this incredible uh, boom of gold demand in China, which is which okay. is one of the reasons why gold is still um, at these levels. Thank you, Sunil. I know you have to go uh, after, after this, this point. So thank you very much. That's Sunil Kashyap. He's Managing Director and Head of Scotia Makata in Hong Kong. And thank you, Chris Oliver, for joining us with that segment this morning. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up half a percent to 17,456. Australia's ASX index is down eight-tenth of a percent to 5,306. And Seoul's Kospi is up just slightly to 1,980. In currencies, one euro buys you 1.24 US dollars, one US dollar still buys you 118 yen, and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 17 cents. Well, in his 12 years as the PBOC governor, Zhou has never stopped at a single shift to benchmark index rates once prompted into action. Since 2002, he has overseen two tightening and two easing cycles for a total of 22 moves to the one-year lending rate and 20 to the one-year deposit rate. Simple math then suggests that his latest cut is unlikely to be a one-off. We're joined now by Andrew Sullivan, financial commentator. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Andrew, do you see another interest rate coming? 
a cut that is coming? Well, I think the, the PBOC is trying to manage uh, a very awkward situation. It's got the yen weakening significantly. It's still an export-driven economy, uh, and that makes its exporters under a lot of pressure. The real problem with the, the PBOC cutting is the fact that you're likely to see other nations also following suit, which brings it down to a zero game. If the yen is going to continue to weaken, then other countries are going to continue to look to cut in order to make their exporters more profitable. Now, it certainly looks like markets are likely to bounce on uh, the news of interest rate cuts, at least in the near term, uh, though some analysts are cautioning investors not to be fooled by this. What's your take? Well, it's an, it's an asymmetric cut, so it's not just cutting the lending rate. They're also cutting de- the deposit rates. So that means that actually they're just making it easier for companies that have you know, outstanding debts to pay those debts in, in the light of a, a, a highly competitive market. Uh, but equally, you know, the depositors aren't getting more money, so it's not bringing more money into the banking system. So there's still going to be an issue there. So the interest rate cut uh, could provide relief to some debt-laden companies. Uh, let's bring in Nitin Dialdas, who is the Chief Investment Officer for Mandarin Capital. Good morning, Nitin. Good morning. So what is the real good news that actually could come out of these rate cuts uh, You know, for these debt-laden companies? Um, obviously, by cutting rates, your, bur- your debt burden is going to ease a little bit. So there's a little bit more that can go back into working capital. And that will hopefully start simulating some of these debt-laden companies and start boosting the economy a little bit. Do Um, we know uh, what sectors are most likely to profit? It will be the traditional sectors, you'd assume, say the construction, the um, housing sector. I think ultimately, like Andrew just said, with the deposit rate also being cut, it's not going to necessarily help the consumers. It's not going to necessarily help the retailers. So it's going to be more the um, infrastructure-type companies that are going to be boosted by this. Andrew, your thoughts? No, I agree. I mean, it, it, it's people with large debts. So uh, in addition to that, probably the airlines who have taken on a lot of debt in order to buy new uh, aircraft. You know, it's US dollar denominated. It, it, this helps them a little bit. But at the end of the day, this isn't something that's going to drive the economy. We haven't really seen the PBOC change its stance. It's, it's still going to focus very much its actions on specific sectors. This isn't, this isn't a great uh, change that we've, you know, unlike in the financial crisis where they put a lot more money into the uh, into the whole system they're not doing that on this occasion so this isn't then necessarily good news for investors well i think for investors the the thing is yes it helps some companies it makes them more viable but at the end of the day it really comes down to where is demand coming from and we're seeing you know slow demand in europe we're seeing gradual demand in the us And for an export-driven economy, that doesn't really help them. Uh, Nathan, what do you think about that? Do you think we'll see any kind of heightened activity through the Stock Connect program, for example, as a result of this? Um, It's had a slow start. So, I mean, I think that's going to take a while before people actually fully um, become aware of how to utilize it to their advantage. So I don't necessarily think that's going to potentially boost China at all. Now, uh, yesterday, there were a lot of sellers in Shanghai, and the word is that Shanghai investors tend to exit on highs after policy announcements. So, you know, if we hear of another rate cut, uh, do you not think they will act further? Yeah. um, I I think, as you said at the beginning of this segment, that there will be further rate cuts, and I think people will start acting, and there will be some sort of stimulus over the longer term. I just think initially... 
there's a little bit of feel-good factor over the fact the rate cut is there. But if you actually look at the reality of it, it's only helping certain sectors at, at this point, uh, point in town. Okay, so you mentioned infrastructure, housing. Any specific mm. tips you can give us? Um, I can give you one name because... Um, Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be. Um, and I think, as I said, if you just generally take the whole housing sector or you take the construction sector, that will be the areas that you'd want to focus on. Andrew points out the, uh, the airline sector. That's actually something... Uh, I totally agree with as well. So, but people probably won't look at just on the basis of the rate cut. Andrew, do you, can you give us some specific names? Well, I think the interesting thing, I mean, we're mentioning the airline sector because they're, they're benefiting at the moment from, you know, lower, lower interest charges on, on the money they've borrowed. They're also benefiting from the fact that the oil price has declined. And you have to remember that the Chinese airlines don't hedge their fuel costs. So they are, you know, going to directly benefit from this, as opposed to somebody like Cathay, who historically... You know, hedge their fuel 40, 50, 60% as the price comes down. That means actually for Cathay, they're going to see a, a hedging loss because the, the, the fuel prices come down so fast and so quickly. All right, Nitin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, that is Nitin Dialdas, and he is the Chief Investment Officer for Mandarin Capital. With uh, just a few minutes left uh, to close up the show, we are all waiting and watching to see what happens at the OPEC meeting on Thursday. Andrew, what else should we be uh, keeping our eyes on in uh, finance this week? Well, I think we've still got to watch the, the US GDP uh, to see how that is going. And, and I think also the, the people will be watching again for the, the PMI numbers coming out of China, not this week, but next week. Uh, and that will be a real uh, you know, gauge for how bad the situation is in China in the short term. All right, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as our Tuesday co-host. That is Andrew Sullivan, financial commentator. Uh, let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up uh, six-tenths of a percent to 17,466. Australia's ASX is up almost 1% to 5,296. And Seoul's Kospi is up uh, down just slightly at 1,977. This is Renita Malhotra-Hora signing off for Money for nothing. And let's take a quick look at the weather forecast, which uh, today will be mainly fine. There will be some haze later on. The maximum temperature will be around 26 degrees Celsius with light winds. Currently, the temperature is 22 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 90%. It's now time for the half hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Bayliss are expected to start clearing road barricades erected by pro-democracy protesters on Argyle Street in Mongkok this morning. Police have warned protesters against resisting the clearance or attempting to take over more roads. The court orders authorising the clearance were granted earlier to a minibus company and two taxi associations. Mongkok has been the site of violent clashes between supporters and opponents of the Occupy movement, which is in its eighth week. It's expected a larger protest area on Nathan Road will be cleared cleared tomorrow. Joshua Wong from the student activist group Scholarism has urged protesters to cooperate with the enforcement of the injunctions. Federation of Students and Scholarism will have the representative to go to the Occupy District of Mongkok. We will urge and hope of the activists to persist on the principle of peace and non-violence. So we will not hope to have any argument or anyone hurt with the police. Yeah. So you respect the injunction? Yeah, we will respect the injunction and respect the law. The governor of Missouri, Jay Nixon, has appealed for calm ahead of the announcement shortly of a decision on whether a white policeman who shot dead the black teenager Michael Brown will be prosecuted. Our shared hope and expectation is that regardless of the decision, 
people on all sides show tolerance, mutual respect, and restraint. The shooting in the St. Louis suburb of Ferguson in August sparked days of clashes. The governor declared a 30-day state of emergency last week throughout Missouri. Schools in parts of the St. Louis area will be closed today. The United States and Iran have both said they're confident that a comprehensive deal over Tehran's nuclear program can still be achieved, despite the failure of the latest round of talks to meet a deadline for agreement. The talks have been extended by seven months. The U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry said real and substantial progress had been made, but significant points of disagreement remained. The Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif was optimistic that a deal could be reached quickly. We believe that we can reach that negotiated solution, not in seven months and seven days as we have given ourselves the possibility of, but we want to do it within as short a time as possible.